We're back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. Yeah. Talk about that. We have mailbag today. What's the first question? Ooh, mailbag. Well, the first question would be, what are we doing and where can they find us? Ah. <laughs> That's always our, our first question. What conferences are we going to be going to? If people want to reach out and join us for something, where can they reach out and join us for something? Yes. We do have a whole ton of teachings happening. Uh, so if you're, you know, if you're in the, the, the upstate area of New York or Pennsylvania or Massachusetts, you can find us there. But for conference wise, if people wanted to come and uh, and buy us a beer, what conferences could they see us at? <laughs> well, Connecticut, uh, it, the time I'm going to be presenting in Connecticut will be the time this is released. Uh, that'll be January 11th and 12th. Walmer is on March 6th and 7th. New England is March 26th through the 28th. Omra is eight. Uh, eight <clears throat> excuse me, April 8th through the 10th. Michigan, April 15th through 17th. Uh, cold zone may 8th through the 10th wow they just keep going on south carolina new york state oklahoma oregon baltimore and virginia yes and i have to say south carolina uh steve kalarchek will be at and if you ever wanted to pick his brains about anything arf related he is the man so definitely go to that one and 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 pick his brain apart and I will mention there's two other things that are going to be popping up very soon. Uh, Battery Destroyers Club Part de Ah, West Coast, right? West Coast. Yeah, we're doing San Diego. And we got some major players coming in there. More about that coming up. Um, and then if you haven't seen it, you should see it. The After Action Report. Um, what a great time. What a we were looking great at the time. numbers. It's the first show we've really stood up in a while that on its own. And Mike Callen knocked it dead. Uh, as of six days after the recording, it was almost at 900 views. Yeah, it's uh, he did. A, he did a great <laughs> job. He's a great guest. I can't wait to have him back. Uh, so many more questions. There's so many things that I'd like to talk to him about, about specific stuff. You know, like, OK, you're setting up this thing. How did how did you do like what was yeah. the grit? What were you pulling? What were the obstacles? What were this? What were that? So, yeah, I got I got a whole list of questions for the next time. But we've got another Interview every month they're going to be coming month. out. The first, it, we're trying to do every the first Wednesday of every month. So the next one's going to be February seventh, twenty twenty four at nineteen thirty Eastern Standard Time. Our next guest, next guest OG Rick Emery, um, and then I think the following month is going to be uh, Phil McArdle. Ah, uh, my one of my personal one of our mentors. Yeah, he's uh, uh, so him coming on means a lot. Yeah, long long form comments are on gonna be a good time come on on grab yourself a drink and uh and and come on and watch the show and it's gonna be a, a, i think a lot of fun yeah and then finally so. last thursday of the month happy hour so don't forget to become a, a specialist and, and join in on the happy hour uh it is a fun time it is unrecorded uh it is just a bunch of sitting around and bullshitting and a lot of times we run through weird scenarios that people are having like issues with you know equipment or problems on scene uh nothing ever gets relayed outside of the conversation so it is a uh, what would this generation say it's a safe place to sit and talk about things is that <laughs> yeah, that works. <laughs> All right. So we called today's episode a mailbag, but the first question actually doesn't come from the email or the mailbag at all. It was actually a phone conversation uh, that I had with a, a very, very close friend uh, from uh, a place that, that I used to work. I won't mention any names or companies, but uh, 
he was having a conversation and he was trying to he was trying to explain uh, a concept and the fact that he was trying to explain a concept will lend into a, a different part of the conversation that we have that I'm going to tie it into mailbag and pretend like it's part of the mailbag but it was really part of this conversation that we had because I think it's an important thing to understand because um, I've talked to him about it before and I think he really finally got it this time but here was the question it was a thermal conductivity question and he said Mike he goes I'm trying to explain thermal conductivity and the guys are asking me if there's cross sensitivities so is there cross sensitivities to thermal conductivity and this is kind of one of those gray area answers um mm. do you do you want to take a shot at it before no, i give my ahead. opinion I'm, I'm, i on thermal conductivity right are there cross sensitivities i don't know if cross sensitivity is the right word i agree but can it be faked out it's yes. very easy to oh, fake yeah. that one out yeah so so here's the deal he and here is the 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 kind of parsing the definition and kind of being a little bit douchey about terminology when we consider something to be a cross sensitivity right we often will think about it as it is cross sensitive because the meter is telling me i am going to pick up this specific chemical and in the process of picking up this specific chemical, it happens to pick up another chemical, but tells you it's the target chemical that you're looking for. That would be a pretty good generalization of cross sensitivity. Perfect example of this is CO. CO, you have it in your meters. It's an electrochemical. You walk into a hydrogen environment and your CO detector is going to tell you that you have CO. Now, okay. how is this a little different than something that is, what did you say? You, you used a much better word than I did. Um, it wasn't cross sensitivity. It was oh, uh, uh, easily to fooled. Easily uh, fooled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the best example that I can give for this is then going to be the AP4C, which picks up any chemical in the air that contains a specific bond. Let's say phosphorus. If it contains phosphorus, it's going to light up that there's a phosphorus. It's not telling you that there is a specific chemical out there. If it were to turn around and say, hey, listen, I have chemical, I have nerve agent, and now you're getting hits on nerve agent, you would see that as a cross sensitivity. Chemical warfare agent that did this all the time was the APD 2000, right? It would sit and tell you, holy crap, you have sarin, 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 sarin. Meanwhile, you're chewing bubble gum. That would be a cross sensitivity, right? So we, we don't necessarily look at it. Now, for those of you that don't understand what thermal conductivity is and why it wouldn't really land within this category, thermal conductivity is a type of sensor that turns around and it heats up a, uh, uh, an object inside the sensor. And depending on how fast that sensor cools in comparison to how it would cool in air, it can determine that there's a certain gas presence. And it, in that kind of electrical calculation where it says, oh, I'm being cooled five times faster, there must be 400 parts per million of a target gas in the air. But mm -hmm. here's the deal. It's not necessarily a target gas. Uh, it is it is it will pick up any gases. You have to know what atmosphere you're in and then apply that. That's the key. Right. You then have to apply that knowledge to the meter to get the correct correction factor, for lack of better words, so that the meter can then tell you, OK, you're in CO. This is how many parts per million of CO or CO2 is in the atmosphere. So it's less about 
being cross sensitive and more about understanding how the technology works. And there really isn't a cross sensitive. You just have to know what atmosphere you're going into. Thermal conductivity is used a tremendous amount in the gas industry, the natural gas industry, right? Where if you have a utility, they're going to walk into a house with a thermal conductivity. Now they do that because the idea for them is they're always walking into natural gas. But if you were to turn around and you were to do a propane leak inside a house, call them up and tell them it's natural gas, they're going to walk in with their meters. They're going to get erroneous readings because they are not reading in the atmospheric product that they are specifically selected. So you could call it a cross sensitivity. I think it's a little bit more parceled out than that. I think you got to be a little bit more specific. But for that reason, no, I don't think thermal conductivity necessarily has a, um, a cross sensitivity to it. Now, one of the things that then was the follow up question was this was, all right, so they have this thermal conductivity in a meter that the thermal conductivity will turn on after the LEL reaches 100% of the atmosphere. And the reason for this is so that the LEL sensor doesn't burn out, yada, yada. So he said, if I walk into a CO2 atmosphere, my, I'm not going to get any readings on my thermal conductivity, right? My answer to that was, yes, that's correct, because in order for that thermal conductivity to first kick in, you first have to hit 100% of the LEL. Exactly. Then turns on right. that switch. So then he asked, he goes, well, what would happen if I had both in the air? And I said, you know, I don't have a goddamn clue. Here's what you do. <laughs> like, huh. put, yeah, put the meter into 100% of the LEL, right? And you could do it with a little baggie. You don't have to fill a room with gas and then blow yourself up. But, you know, you could take a little sample, pop it out to 100%, and then immediately put it into a bag with CO2 in it. See what happens. You've now tricked the meter into kicking into your your LEL. So now it's going to be reading thermal conductivity. And now it would be interesting to see what would happen. And you could kind of correspond that. You could then mix a little bit. You could now go back and forth, right? You could now do half of explosive uh, gas or, you know, whatever the meter was picking up. And then half thermal of the CO2. See what happens to your thermal conductivity. I think that's a great question. And the only way to really get that experience is to try it and to do it. So that was that was mailbag question one. Very, very well put. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was. I have to say it was very well put. And that leads into the second part of this conversation, which, again, isn't a mailbag question, but I think is worth pointing out uh, to all those hazmat technicians that are out there. He was. I gave the answer on the phone while driving in a snowstorm just as i did here on on the air i don't have notes i don't have i wasn't reading a script i was just going off of of my brain and right. he he was like man that was that was absolutely incredible i'm like it, it really wasn't and he and so I said to him, hey, listen, have you been teaching lately? Because to be honest with you, he's one of those guys that we will eventually pull into our cadres of instructors. He's just only has a couple of years of experience. And he goes, no, he goes, I really haven't. I know I need to. But to be honest with you, like, I can't give an answer like you just gave. He goes, I've just been trying to explain what you just said for the past 30 minutes. And you just said it in a minute and a half without any hesitation. I said, you're absolutely right. I said, do you know why I was able to do that? 
because you're not the first person who's asked that question because I've been teaching for so long. That's now the 50th time I've answered that question. I didn't have to think about the answer. I just rolled through my Rolodex. I pulled the answer out and I handed it to you. I didn't do anything special. I wasn't trying to figure it out. I didn't do any research. It wasn't like this instant click. I was able to do what I did because I've been teaching for so long. And I'm like, you have to, if you want to get past a certain point in your hazmat career, you have to start to teach. I cannot applaud more than that. That is exact. You, you, if you're not teaching, you are hitting, you're going to hit a ceiling of how good you are. Uh, you know, you know, and, and, and even, I know there's guys out there that say, well, you know, I'm not good in front of the classroom. I understand that. But all you got to change your mindset from like, I have no problem talking to let's say I, I, I suck it in front of the classroom. And um, I say, you know, in a small setting with two or three people, I go, I want to see McDonald's. I want to have McDonald's today. And you say, oh, I want Wendy's. And we have that little argument back and forth. And then we go one place to the other. Teaching is the same thing. You're making an argument for them to change their their idea. And so the better when you get to the point where you've crafted that response, the point where you're like, this is the perfect either analogy or right. methodology or whatever it is. And you're like, oh, that's good. Like like Mike says, you put that in your Rolodex. And for those that are maybe younger, you don't know what the hell a Rolodex is. It used to be a little paper thing that used to put right. all your numbers. Oh my and god! Stuff in. I even did the visual of like rifling oh, through yeah, cards. Through. Man, I'm old. Put it in the Dewey Decimal System at the uh, you know. my card catalog. Yeah, but no, like you know, if you that's how you get stressed and you have to start thinking on your feet where. It's not the prepackaged things of the things I do know. And let me just keep repeating them. You're going to be in front of a classroom and somebody's going to ask you a question you don't know. Yeah. And then you're going to be like, huh, I never thought of it that way. Or there have been so many times where I've been in front of a classroom where somebody said something to me in a way I never thought about it. And I, it totally changed my whole perspective. I'm like, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. And 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 that is just one benefit of teaching right that's one benefit the other benefits are some are are things like you know we all forget information over time but if you're instructing you're constantly giving out that information you are refreshing yourself as a hazmat technician so now when you're on scene it seems like you have all this vast knowledge because you haven't forgotten it because a week ago you were just giving out the same information to somebody else where if you weren't teaching, maybe it's something you only touch on once every three years. And now the three year mark is hitting. You're like, oh, I kind of remember this information a little bit. But so it makes you a better technician out in the field. All right. I'm going to I'm going to take this on to a side note that I don't know if this is definitely not the intention of this this podcast, but. Would you make a argument, this just popped in my head, that a instructor that instructs a good amount, what number that is, I don't know, is exempt from refreshing? Ooh, okay. So, all right, I'm going to go yes and no on this one. Okay. Mm. So, all right. So here's the deal, right? Why do we refresh? We refresh to cover information that had been covered. 
but we also refresh to updates and updates. So in the terms of updates, no, a guy still needs to sit through a refresher to be updated on information, right? There's always new information coming out there. Uh, and, you know, you may need to sit and understand the new information. Um, we were just talking that, you know, we go to these departments and one of the questions I ask them all the time is what method of decon do you do? And the place we were just at the other day, they still do the three pool car wash. And I'm like, OK, it's it's time that you start thinking about moving on to the next generation of decon. That would be a refresher. So somebody who teaches all the time for that for that department is not going to get all the new information on the, the new version of decon. They would need to sit through a class and do the refresher. Uh, and yeah, I think I think a person still should be a student because, you know, if all I'm doing is teaching my way, my thought process, my point of view, then I'm not going to get Bob's thought process. So I'm now a student in Bob's class. He's going through the same information, but he teaches it a different way. And I go, oh, holy shit. I never thought about it like that. So, yeah, I don't think that a teacher should be exempt from being a student. Well, speaking of that. You know, listeners out there, it's us, you know, us, the hazmat guys, and we got something special for you. We it's teach a amount. We teach. <laughs> we teach. We teach. Absolutely. But um, we teach. We come in. We do everything from refreshers to technician classes uh, to online refreshers, LMSs. We do it all. And we often get the question when we first are talking to people, they're like, well, why would we go with you guys? Yeah. Well, actually, it's funny you say LMSs. Uh, as of today, there's going to be like a dozen LMSs that are up. So those of you that are listening to this, you can get in there early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And cause we've gotten the question of, of how come your classes are a million dollars? And so we yeah. have to explain, well, it's, it's under construction. We really it's actually don't want anyone buying them, but they have to be live while we're working on them. So that's why they're, if you yeah. see a class for a million dollars, it's under construction. Don't worry about it. Right. Um, but, but you know, it's, you know, we have customized training programs designed to unlock your team's full potential. Um, and that's kind of what we're doing now. Yeah, we partner with a whole bunch of companies to bring the latest and greatest technology into the classroom. Uh, it's this beautiful partnership where you're playing with real stuff. You're playing with the, the the latest and greatest, whether it's a simulator, a meter, a program, anything like that. And we take training and we make it not boring, which has got to be probably the most important part of having a company come in to teach you. And another thing is our instructors aren't just knowledgeable as they're masters at helping keep everybody engaged. They're the best in the field. We don't play around with the B team. Sorry. So come on in and have us train you. Yes. All right. Well, mailbag part Yeah. Okay. So we we talk uh, we 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 talk a lot about this um, about the oh my god what is the i can't we talk a lot about confirmation bias so we have a question come in that talks about confirmation bias uh and he says how can i start to remove myself from con confirmation bias well i can tell you we've done podcasts on this uh mm -hmm. and then so i would say go back and, and read the old podcast and he goes is there more than just confirmation bias that i have to be aware of 
And my answer <laughs> is, yes, there is. And this question actually sparked us to create an entire oh. series of different biases that can lead to disasters with technicians. And it folds in great with last week's episode and the week before we were talking about the constant victory. So now we're going to talk next week about all the different ways that our own brains can trick us into not having a victory. Uh, so I'm not going to get into answering that question really in any yeah. way, shape or form. I would say go ahead and uh, and wait for the, the weeks to come out because we're going to go into great detail in a lot of these different biases. I got to say, I, I just finished it. And just for everybody out there, like we do a script. I don't want to say a script. It's not a script. A script is like every word you're going to say. We do outlines and even our outlines have gone from books to written on the back of a napkin back up to something that's structured. You know, we, we play the gamut. This is 10 pages. 10 pages of, of outlines. Of words and the oh. words spark 10 to 15 minutes of conversation. Yeah. I don't know how many this is going to be, guys, but it's going to be quite. I pulled out 10 uh, biases and paradoxes and effects. And, and, and you can see how each one of them really affects yeah. how we think out in the field. Um, yeah. You know, just even something little like the gambler's fallacy, the you know, how how that mindset and looking back on it, we have our own stories of being like, oh, holy oh, yeah. crap, that totally happened to me. Like, I really I really like put my foot in my mouth at this point because I did this like you can see it. And I invite you to come in and listen to this and then take your own assessment of times that things have gone good or bad in which one of these fallacies or these logic, these flawed logical ways of thinking that are part of our natural human behavior got in the way of you having a constant victory. Love it. So. All right. Catch you guys next week.